0: put it up to the 133rd psalm we're gonna we're gonna deal with two psalms today and if you if you do have a bible open which i hope you do you'll notice that that these are the last two psalms that have the the introduction the songs of ascent and this is our 10th sunday together um, in the Songs of Ascents, those the 15 psalms, and you've heard me say this a bunch of times, but just one more time, these were the songs that had been accumulated as a, a a special part of the hymn book, as as kind of like an album with a beginning and an end and all the things in the middle, and it was intended to be the holiday music of the people of Israel. These Where if you are slugging it out, out somewhere far away from Jerusalem, three times a year you have the opportunity, you've been instructed, commanded even to go to Jerusalem for a feast to remember what God has done for us. And so these are the songs that had been set apart to sing um, on that journey. Not only on that journey, but even at the Temple Mount as you climbed the 15 steps Towards one of the gates of the temple, it was even tradition to sing these 15 songs. So the, like all good you know, bodies of literature, there's un, unending nuance there. And we've talked about this was intended to be sung on a spirit, on a, on a physical journey, but also that it has something to do with a spiritual journey, that there's something really profound about starting far from God surrounded by a culture that is totally at odds with God and taking the spiritual journey to the joy that exists in the presence of God. And so today we come to the end of that journey. And um, it made me think of the seminal book, Go Dog Go. Um, Have you read Go Dog Go? Some of you, Uh, it was one of our kids' favorites. It's by Eastman. Uh, If you're looking for it on Amazon and uh, Go Dog Go is, um, you know, it's right up there with one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish on, you know, first books that our kids loved. And it has it's not Dr. Seuss, but it has that same kind of feel. And the end of that book was always, everybody in my family, it was our favorite. It's a book of like, this yellow dog has a hat. I wish I I wish I had it. Preaching is kind of weird. Like, so I didn't misquote things. This week I looked up Go Dog Go and then also read some Milton. That's just that that's what that's what uh you know that's what i do so it's about all these dogs that have all these different experiences i think one's on a bike and it's a lot of different modes of transportation one's in a car they're going in a maze and they're coming out a maze and there's yellow dogs and red dogs and blue dogs and dogs with hats and dogs with scarves and all this kind of thing and as a parent you're like okay we get it these are colors we're learning colors that's good here we go But the end, you find out that all of these dogs have actually been going to this big tree that looks a lot like the tree at Seaside City Hall, by the way, just this big canopy tree. And there is a great dog party at the end of this book. So it hasn't just been going because it is about the journey, but it's also about the destination. Are you you gathering what I'm going for here? Like, Like at the end of this book, there is this joy of, oh my gosh, At the end, there is a dog party. (laughs) This is dumb. There's a dog party with red dogs and blue dogs and yellow dogs and dogs with hats and dogs with scarves. And there's a place where they can all have a dog party together. And (laughs) And there's something in that little heart that's like, whatever's going on with this dog party I want in. And there's something going on in the heart of the parent as you're reading this book too that goes, man, whatever these dogs have figured out. Looks like a lot of fun. What's the goal of the journey that we've been on in the Songs of Ascent? It's been actually some tough sledding. If you take the Songs of Ascent seriously, you're going to get offended. It's going to make you change your life. You have to submit to something that's not you if you take these songs seriously. If you internalize these, you are going to be a different person at the end of the journey than you were at the beginning of the journey because you are absolutely welcome in the presence of God, but your pride's not. Your sin's not. And God has done everything needed to give you the ability to be forgiven of all of that stuff, but it's gotta go. And a big part of the journey from far away from the presence of God to the joy that exists in the presence of God is the shedding of ourself. It's why we left home. These two Psalms are beautiful pictures of what we crave at the end of the journey. It's why we started the pilgrimage in the first place. Those of us that are are on this journey, we're walking with the Lord. We are journeying towards intimacy with God all the time. It's the beautiful view at the end of the hike. Do you like hiking? I like hiking. I don't like loops. We're just going to walk around, and then we're going to end up back at the car. It doesn't matter what is the landmark that we're going for. There's a rock eight miles out. Great. Let's go see the rock. I'm in. But I want there to be an end because I love the journey, but I also want there to be something worth journeying for. And the journey of life to the presence of God, man, the journey is meaningful, but without a destination, without something beautiful to arrive at, the journey is, means very little. So this is the beautiful view at the end of the hike, these Psalms. This is like coming home. You'll remember at the beginning of the journey, way back in Psalm 120, there, and, and we'll turn there maybe in a minute, but, but that psalm started with, I'm surrounded by liars. I want peace and they want war. It started with this, we talked about like it is good, it is important to have a holy dissatisfaction with the world that you've been handed to look around and go, what a mess. I don't feel, I want, I want peace. I want unity. I want, I want the glory of God. And all my neighbors just want war and disunity. And you go, yeah, that's a right thing to notice. We talked then about Psalm 122, the pilgrim sums up his feelings by saying, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. At the beginning, the pilgrim left to go to Jerusalem because it sounded so good to get away from the muck of the world and to be in God's presence. We talked about the responsibilities that we have to each other in that. that, Look, if this is a little slice of eternity... Then every time I gather with my church family, with the other Christians that have decided to go on this journey together, it needs to feel like a little slice of home. A little slice even of Eden. We talked about the responsibilities we have to each other. We all crave home. We all, have, we all crave some place where we matter, where we will be given grace, where we can extend grace and not feel weak a place of peace, a place of safety. And now in this Songs of Ascents, we've come to the glorious end of that pilgrimage because the journey is important. So is the destination. And it turns out that the destination has a lot to do with being in unity together. So it starts out, Behold! How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I love that word behold. It kind of means ha ha. Ha ha. What you've been looking for? Behold, behold is not. Check this out. Right? Behold is like, wow oh, The thing we've been looking for. Behold. I love the idea of it as something to do with brothers dwelling in unity. And obviously that's not gender exclusive. It's, it's, about, uh, it's about brethren, you know, like all of us together. But it's more than that here. If we're talking about the tribes of Israel coming together for feasts and festivals, like these people are all somehow related all the way back to, um, to the man Israel. Like they all come from the same tribes. But they're different. And so they come together with all their differences, different foods, different customs. Well, we think that's a sin. Well, we think this is a sin. And to be together in unity, like to have just a moment, and this is why it has to be holiday music. Like this side of heaven, like this is tough to pull off. Have you ever had the conversation on the way to somebody's house for a holiday? Look, just leave it. We're just going to go. We're just going to have a good time. We're going to get in the car. We're going to come home. That's it, right? Because it's so hard to pull this off. But if you could go to a place where there were people from all different places, and there was unity, and there was blessing, and it was like love, 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 the dog party. You know what I mean? You got, I would like there to be dogs there. Um, and if you got there, you would go, behold, look, this is what my heart was made for. This is the end of the journey of the Songs of Ascent. Two things we're told about this, the end of this journey in Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. First of all, it's good. It's not going to be a big shock to, to any of you that that word good is my favorite word. That's Tove tove that word that doesn't just mean, all right, morally good, but no, it means the way things are supposed to be. Everything working like it was intended to work. Good. Your car after a tune-up, sitting on the edge of a dock, dangling your feet, not worried about work. You know, Tove. it is good and it is pleasant the way it's supposed to be. I think, I think we all know that. Humans are strange, though. I think, I think we all know that we're built for community. We're built for this unity together. At least I sure hear a lot, not just in the church, but, but everywhere. The world's too divided. We need to talk with each other, and we need to work together. And I hear that a lot. I just don't see a lot of actual working together. Because mostly what we mean by we need to work together is we mean everybody needs to do things my way. We'd just be so much happier if everybody listened to me. I wonder if you feel that even inside you. Like, Don't you feel that internal struggle? Like, on one hand, you know that unity with other people is what you were built for. It's easy to be lonely. You long for community. We crave attention. We crave comfort. We need touch. We need laughter. We need sympathy, even. We need all the things that unity brings. Also, most people drive you nuts. It's a weird mix. How strange. We crave community, but we have a hard time getting along with people. Because it's tov, it's good to dwell with each other in unity. But we were born so selfish. It wrecks the goodness, the toveness of God in community. So, how do we get from divided and Lonely and irritated to, oh, it is good to dwell in unity with each other. And I'll come back to that in a minute, but right now, do you have an answer? What would it take? How do we get from selfish and divided to the goodness of, of different people dwelling together in unity? Living together, dwelling together is not just good, but Psalm 133 says it's pleasant. <laughs> we try so many ways. We try really hard to make our life pleasant. We try stuff with our senses. Do you guys love the, the way a, a room smells good? Is that a pleasant thing? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. The, the right furniture set up just the right way you want your life to be pleasant not only that there might maybe at your house there's a christmas tree with some gifts under it or maybe there will be and you're hoping for you know that this is going to add to pleasant the word pleasant is like delightful pleasant's a great word it's not like yeah it's just like pleasant like at peace see how it goes with Tove so well just good and pleasant We try so hard. The pilgrim has found this relationship or or found this pleasantness in relationship with other people. For Psalm 133 kind of unity, just think about what kind of a place we'd have to be to have a place where there's so much unity where you go, oh my gosh, it is good. It's the way things should be. This is what my heart's been craving. And and not only that, it's pleasant. Like, it's just a good time. We would have to be so submitted to God. We would have to be so submitted to each other. If you have a Bible... Just turn over to the book of Ephesians real quick. And I won't spend a lot of time here, but Ephesians, like the end of four and then a piece of five. Let's just, Ephesians has a lot to say about unity. But if you'll just look at Ephesians 4 and start in verse 31, the very end. Love all the pages rustling. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander put away from you. If you want unity, you can't talk about people behind their backs. If you want unity, you have to give up on your anger. If you want unity, you have to give up on your wrath, on your revenge, on life treating you great all the time. Be kind to one another and tender hearted. Those are not things that are like if you feel like it. We are all really kind sometimes. But if we want unity like the scriptures give us, no, it has to be by discipline. It has to be part of your character that you grow that you didn't have before. Be kind to each other and tender hearted. Like actually care. Like be wounded when your neighbor goes through a hard time. Forgiving one another. Come on. People ever done anything to you that they built up a debt in your heart? Forgive it. Just say it's gone. The cross was enough. They don't owe you anything. I mean, do you see how offensive this is? Do you see how hard this is? Do you see how if we want unity, nobody gets to be the boss except God? Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Bounce over to the halfway through chapter 5. Verse, I don't know, let's start in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're commanded to sing together. I mean, don't sing the songs if we've got heresy going on. Don't sing that... Other than that, like sing, it's in the Bible. Addressing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So we're addressing each other by singing to the Lord. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the least individual rights thing I could think to say. You totally have individual rights. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. But you know what the Christian thing is to do with those individual rights is lay them down for your neighbor. It is tov. It's good when we dwell together in unity. It's pleasant. You'll like it. But it does cost you. This is what this journey is about. This is where you arrive. Verse two. We've gotten through one verse. You're doing great. Verse two says it is like precious oil on the head, dude. I want you to picture this. Picture Aaron, uh, a young man. Maybe I don't know. Uh, maybe not that young. Maybe he's uh, he's a late middle aged man at this point, but he's got a beard and it's and and the call his his priestly robes and oil is just like excess of oil just pouring down. I want you to picture that as I read it. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So this is what's going on. Verse 2 is an illustration of the goodness of God that happens when we are in community. Verse 3 is an illustration of the pleasantness of life when we are in community so let's start with verse two all of this oil pouring down this is just priestly images this is a picture of the first high priest after the exodus Aaron and his brothers getting anointed as priests and the oil pouring over his head is like God's approval it is the anointing, this one, this guy right here. I don't know. I hear people say things like, oh, it was a God thing or like God did this or whatever. Have you been in a moment where you go, I just, this is what God is doing. That's the way it feels when we dwell together in unity. Like, oh, this is like the approval and the anointing and even the mission of God just excessively pouring all over us. That's when things are going good. When things are tov, when things are working like they should. You know, when we're holding grudges, when we're being selfish, when we're giving in to sin, life gets wonky, it's not tov. But when we are dwelling together in unity, it's like, you know what this reminds me of? It's just like a submitted priest before the Lord with God's approval anointing him. and just pour, It's just the best. Excessive blessing. Then verse 3 is an illustration of the pleasantness of the life of community. All this stuff about the dew of Hermon. So a few things. First of all, practically, Mount Hermon was in Santa Cruz. No, that's not true. Mount, <laughs> Mount Hermon was the beautiful high place of the, um, uh, of, the, of the region. Do we have anybody here from Phoenix? Okay, good. You know how Phoenix is hot and miserable and nobody wants to be there? Um, <laughs> and Flagstaff is like right up the road and wonderful. Zion is pretty arid. Pretty dry. Mount Hermon is lush. And green. Mount Hermon is like the end of a mountain range, coming down out of Lebanon, and it's the end of that mountain range, and it's nine thousand feet. Um, am I still on the right slide? No, I'm not. Uh, um, it's uh, it's this mountain ridge coming down. So you would be like down in the valley, looking up at just green, at trees. At that, you know, you've heard like the cedars of Lebanon. That's the mountain range these are coming from. Like it's lush, it seems delightful, pleasant. If you're a wealthy family, maybe you're going to go up there for a season, spend some time where it's cool. Not only that, but theologically, this is a reminder of Eden. The ancient idea of God's dwelling place was always a garden mountain. That's what Eden was. It was like a, an elevated garden, right? The rivers come from there. So so Hermon was way up north. It's 9,000 feet. It's green. It's the source of rivers. The headwaters of the Jordan River are up there. And so verse 2 is like, and here's the thing, the dew of Hermon, it doesn't drop on the mountains of Zion. Like, if, if this is like a technical, we're supposed to build a map from this verse, you'd build it wrong. But it's kind of like somebody in Zion going, when we get together, I have that same refreshing, delightful feeling as we would have if just we were just being soaked by the dew up in the mountain. How did Eden get watered? By the dew of the morning. It says, this is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, uh, the Lord has commanded his blessing life forevermore. So this idea that that the blessing could come, like flow like a river from the mountains, like the Jordan maybe down, and then water even the, the, the arid valleys. God was there pronouncing blessings. This is Eden. God pronouncing, be fruitful, multiply, God with us. So at the end of the pilgrimage, the goal of the journey is a little slice of Eden people living in harmony with God. What would you be willing to give up to have that experience? So Psalm 133 describes the location at the end of the pilgrimage. And Psalm 134 describes the activity at the end of the pilgrimage. Let's just spend a few minutes in Psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So the presence of God is filled, firstly, with servants. I'm gonna say something that might hurt your feelings. There are no big shots in the presence of God. Not you, not me, not any famous Christian you've ever heard of, not C.S. Lewis. None of them. There are no big shots. Maybe C.S. Lewis is not. It's interesting because from Eden on, God has given humanity a lot of authority, right? We're his co-regents in Ruling the earth. We're in charge of the animals and we're in charge of the environment. We're in charge of the mountains. Like we're we are God's co-like we're his image and exercising authority. And that comes with responsibility and it comes with accountability. We'll be, you know, we'll be held accountable for how we treat all this stuff. And and it comes with creativity. We get to 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 use the earth to create, and that's wonderful. And and it comes with decision making, but when we enter the presence. Of God, we are his servants. Come, bless the Lord. All, look at how blessed the Lord comes over and over. Come, bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord. Not all of you who came from the furthest distance. All of you who have the least amount of sin in your life. All of you who've done the best job memorizing the verses. No. Servants, that's me and that's you. This is how we live the good life. When we enter the presence of God, we understand that our dominion, our authority is subject to God's. This line, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night, is almost certainly a reference to the the Levitical workers, the people who are working in the temple. They are up all night um, taking care of the place. And in the New Testament, that's clearly us, the church. We are the ones that that are the holy priesthood. I guess this is how I I hope to, to hurt our feelings a little bit. Here's the big idea the presence of God is not filled with people getting their way. It's filled with people joyfully serving God. Let me explain a little. So, you know how we all kind of say, Oh, I hope, you know, all my favorite things are in heaven. I hope there's mint chocolate chip ice cream and baseball and whatever, right? Or we say, When I get to heaven, the broccoli will taste like chili dogs or whatever. You know, I don't know. I don't know what. Broccoli and chili dogs are not things that should be said in the same sentence. i <laughs> like to apologize for that publicly. <laughs> but from the time we're young, we have this idea that heaven, that the perfect place will be filled with me getting my way. And that's not a biblical idea. Rather, heaven is filled with servants. The kingdom of God is filled with servants. Not people getting their way, but rather people doing things God's way. Milton in Paradise Lost gives the line to Satan. Satan in Paradise Lost says that he would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. It's funny because I Googled that because I couldn't remember. I wasn't going to read all of Paradise Lost again, just to find that quote. But I, I Googled it, and the internet seems to think that that is something Milton said because he thought it was better to serve, to rule in hell than to serve. In heaven. So, what it really means is it's better to have control in a bad place rather than have to do things other people's way in a good place and talk about the exact opposite of what Milton intended and what the truth of the universe is. Rather, Milton gave that line to Satan that it is the single and most prevalent heretical attitude to say, I want to be in charge. Rather, what it means to die to yourself and follow Jesus is to say, I won't be in charge anymore. I would much rather serve in heaven than reign in hell. So heaven is not necessarily filled with all the things you like. But let me tell you this, heaven is filled with the things you crave. Because let's be honest, you've been pursuing your way, your whole life. And it has left you empty. The presence of God is not the place where we rule. It is the place where we serve now and forevermore. And here's how you know if you are a follower of Jesus. Does that sound good to you? To spend the rest of your life serving him. The gospel, the good news, is that that's what you were made for. That's how good and pleasant enter your life. Not by getting your way. We have no evidence that getting our way makes us pleasant and good. We have lots of evidence that pursuing self leaves a a wake of destruction of relationships and all kinds of other stuff in your path. No, rather the gospel, the good news is if you will just give up on getting your way and follow Christ, you'll find out that that's the good life, that this is where pleasant and good live. It's also not only a place of servants, it's a place of mutual blessing. Doesn't like verse three mess with you a little bit? Verse three says, "'May the Lord bless you from Zion.'" He who made heaven and earth. You go, I thought this whole thing, we just had two verses and all this stuff about like you blessing the Lord and you blessing the Lord and you blessing the Lord. And then at the very end of the songs of ascent, the last thing that these songs say is, may the Lord bless you. And you go, well, which is it? Are we blessing God or is he blessing us? Guys, this is the definition of love. Isn't a marriage that's working best include two people that are trying to out-bless each other? Isn't that the best friendships you have, that you're just trying to bless their socks off when they're just trying to bless your socks off and everybody's giggling all the time? This is what's available as we die to ourselves we go, God, I just want to bless you. It's not about me, it's about you. I'm going to be a blessing to you, God. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to die to myself daily, daily, daily. And I'm just going to do things your way. And God goes, I love you so much. My blessing will just always be on you. So how do we get there? Man, this is going to be a quick summary But we got there with 15 steps in the Songs of Ascents. We started in 120. And I hope, you know, I'm probably never going to get to preach through the Songs of Ascents again, and that breaks my heart. I love them a lot. Um, And so occasionally, would you grab these? And would you read them? And would you remember the well-worn path of Christian discipleship that starts in these Psalms? So verse 120, the journey began with wanting more than your current life has. They're all liars. They all want war. I want peace. Psalm 121, we were reminded, man, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help doesn't come from me. It comes from the Lord. Psalm 122 was when we kind of launch and we go begin our lives as a pilgrim. And by the way, if you haven't, you could do that right now. You could start a journey to the presence of God right now. Psalm 123 said, I look to you like a servant looks at a master. So part of this journey is just so dying to ourselves that we just go, God, you're my master. What do you want? i do whatever you say. Total life commitment, total trust. Psalm 124 was a psalm of thanksgiving for what God has done. Man, if you're going to die to yourself, your life is going to have to include a lot of thanksgiving. Psalm 125 is learning the benefit of trusting in God for daily decisions. Psalm 126 was about pressing on to repentance to restore uh, the restoration of when we were faithful. Man, this is hard work. If you are gonna experience this, I, I really shouldn't call it the dog party at the end of the journey, but if you're gonna experience this, this place of tove and pleasant and unity and blessing and all that God has for you, you're going to have to learn to repent and do it a lot. Psalm 127 was like, hey, unless God builds your house, it's a mess. Not your plans, his. Psalm 128 was about fearing God. If you want all the blessings of God to be realized in your life, learn to fear God. Daily practices, daily habits, less sin, more praise. Psalm 129 was dealing with hurt and grief. Give all that to God too. Psalm 30 was learning to cry out to God in times when you need mercy. Psalm 131 was about humility. That's a lot of work. Journeys are a lot of work. You don't start out and then go, that was easy. In fact, if you're a hiker, I bet some of the best hikes in your life, it was hard to walk up a flight of stairs the next day. They're a lot of work. Many give up. They began to trust God. At some point, this idea of a blessed life in God's presence sounded good, but it was a long journey. And they give up. Maybe there was disappointment in, along the way. The songs of ascent are about the journey to the goodness in the presence of God. They are also an admonition not to give up. I would like to remind you that faithful Jews sang, did this three times a year. A constant reminder of the kind of spiritual journey we're on. So if I could just end by asking you what journey you're on, where are you headed? Is it to self, to more of you, or is it to less of you in the presence of God? Are there some of these things that you need to take up? Man, if you're going to be journeying towards God, you need to let Him build your house. you got to stop it with your plans. You got to learn to repent, confess. You got to pick up some practices that keep God in the center of your life. In your walk, have you stumbled? Has sin crept in? Has apathy crept in? Has comfort gotten your way? Man, He is faithful and just to help get you back on the rails. Back on the trail. Have you wandered? Maybe it hasn't been a stumble, but have you wandered? Have you began to trust in other philosophies? His greed or power or career or lust or politics or just flat out too much YouTube pulled you off of a faithful path towards the goodness that God has? If that's true, if you've wandered away from Him, would you come home even today? Come home and find God waiting for you like a father on a porch hoping his son returns home any day. Or maybe you're a seeker. You haven't wandered away. You haven't even begun the journey to life with God. This is the amazing thing about the journey of life with God is He walks with you the whole way. That we don't say, oh, this is about the journey and salvation is at the end of it. No, salvation is the very beginning of it. You come to Christ. You don't get your act together and come to Christ. You just come to Christ a mess. And this is about the journey of getting your act together as you go. So maybe you're a seeker, but you haven't made that first step to say, God, I want to walk with you and not with myself. I'm not going to pursue my own heart anymore. I'm going to pursue you. I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for you. I understand that you sent your son to die on a cross. Jesus, I trust you with my salvation, with the forgiveness of my sins. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life journeying, towards increased intimacy with you. Man, you could start a relationship with God right now. You could give your life to Him. And you too could be on the path to tove and pleasant, to good and pleasant. Are you filled with pride? Man, get over it. We're talking about God. Are you frustrated with life around you? Good. God has better things. Come to him now. Be part of his family. And find fellow pilgrims journeying together where when we get together, there's a little slice of the way the world's supposed to be. Let me pray and we'll sing one more Christmas song. No, not a Christmas song. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, thank you for the life that's available to us. Lord, thank you for the chance we have every day to get back on the journey. Lord, to continue walking towards you. Lord, there is, um, I think for... For probably most of us in the room, there's opportunity for for growth in the songs of ascent, Lord, that we do let our plans get in the way, that we do um, live for ourselves instead of you, that that we do get somehow we're frustrated by the culture and also lured by it. God, would you draw us back to you? And if there is somebody in the room now that needs to begin for the first time a relationship with you to become a Christian to say I'm not going to live for myself anymore I'm going to live for Jesus then Lord I pray that you would do a work in their heart right now. God thank you that where we are headed is not um, to tedium and evil but where we are headed is good and pleasant. Lord, that fills us with hope. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.